Well, good morning. It's uh, good to see you all. The computer tells me I'm late starting, so sorry about that. But it's uh, good to have you, and uh, uh, welcome to those of you who are coming, uh, watching online. Um, it's a thing that is incredible to me that the God who made heaven and earth and spoke and brought this whole world into being has given his work to do to the people who love him. And wouldn't it be much easier if God just did it himself? But that's not the way God works. And um, we've got lots of opportunities to serve God in our daily lives, and we've got things going on as a church um, this week. Um, we've just had the men's golf day. There's the ladies' curry night. And next weekend, there's the holiday Bible weekend. All things that God can work through us to do his amazing work. One of the things that we need to remember is that um, next Sunday morning, the service is going to be at 10.30 to tie in with the family service for the holiday Bible week. But as we try and do what God wants, often there's opposition. And um, if you were here a few weeks ago, you'll have rem remembered how we were looking at Nehemiah, how the walls were beginning to be built, how they were doing what God wants. Well, in the bit that John's going to be teaching us from, trouble's coming. So we're looking forward to hearing about that a little bit later. And hopefully that will encourage us if we're in a position where we feel that trouble's coming. But something else that struck me as I was looking about what's going on this week is how one man's life can make an amazing difference for years. Those of you who were looking at the um, slides as we, we started would have seen that the Thursday evening service it's something about Stanley Delve's trust. And I'm looking around the room and realising that almost everyone here will have never met Stanley Delves. But he was a preacher here, not the pastor before John, but the pastor before that. And there were two ways he had a big impact. The biggest impact he has was his Bible teaching and the way it changed lives of that generation, and lots of us are still benefiting from the way he blessed that generation to bless our generation. But another thing about him was that he was somebody that really had a heart for helping people, particularly poor people. And that meant he could be trusted with money. Can you imagine, if you were to die, who would you give your money to, to say, right, they're going to do good with it? Well, several people in his lifetime, and there were other collections as well, gave their money to him to look after. And he said, well, actually, it's best not for just me to do it, but let's have a trust. And now, that trust is still going 40 years on, and still able to help people because of how God used him. 
Now, what was all that about? Well, first of all, to remember that God can use us. We can make a big difference. But second, to say, there's a meeting on Thursday, but it's not all going to be about Stanley Dells. In fact, it's nothing, not very much is going to be even about what the trust is doing today. Because he knew, and the people in charge know, that God's word is powerful. So we're looking forward to having a guy called Tim Hemmington come and preach to us on Thursday evening. So it'll be well worth coming if you can make it. But God isn't just working in England. God is working all over the world. And so this evening, as part as the sort of second instalment this evening, we're looking forward to Rosie telling how she's working with God's people in Papua New Guinea to bring the gospel into that very different situation. So lots going on. I'm sure we can expect God's enemy to be opposing us in so many ways, but it's good that we can rely on him. So let's stand as the music starts and worship God, because even though the nations might reign, there is still one great king who reigns over all. Let's start when the music starts.
Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we do thank you that you know each one of us. You know who we are. You know where we've been. You know what we're thinking. You know our troubles. You know our struggles. So we are so glad that we can come to the King of Kings and bring our needs before you. We thank you you speak to us. We ask, Lord, you'll speak to us through your word now. Amen. So the Bible passage that we're going to be reading is Nehemiah chapter 4. And you will remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, that Nehemiah's gone back to Jerusalem. It's an area that's been surrounded by people who are the enemies of the people of God and it's in a bad state and they're trying to rebuild the wall. So I'm going to start at verse 1. Now when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, Why are these, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it from themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we're despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and... Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sambala and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest part of the space, behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and sent to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us, And that God had frustrated their plan, 
we all returned to, to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shield, bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of jo Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each laboured on the wall with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. <coughs> so we laboured at the work, and half of them held the spears from the breaking of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that there may be a guard for us by night and may labour by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. So we're looking for, forward to John preaching to us from that passage. And, but after the next song, um, Mark's going to give the children's talk. And our next song is one that encourages us to get up, to work for God, and to look for our great King. So when music starts, let's stand and sing.
Good morning, good morning. Just waiting for, I think, one more coming up. Okay, it's good to see all of you again this morning. And uh, I'm thinking of an animal, and it's in the Bible, and I want you to see if you can guess what it is. So, question number one, or point number one, clue number one. They mainly live in the African savannah. Oh, got some guesses already. Go on then. A lion. We'll see. What do you think? You think it's a lion as well? Is it the only animal you know in the African savannah? Okay, right. Possibly too good a clue. They are nearly three meters long. Are we sounding right so far? Yeah? Let's have a look. The adult males have a mane. Still sounding good? Yeah, you're right, you got it, it's a lion. So they're often called the king of the jungle, and this is a really cool one, this next one. Did you know this? You can hear their roar from five miles away. This clicker is a bit funny, by the way, still, for John. Um, you can hear their roar five miles away. So imagine if you walked all the other, the, to the other side of Cobra, and then you walked again the same distance, you could then go another mile and you'd still be able to hear a lion's roar if they roared here at Forest Fold. That's loud, isn't it? They're powerful animals. You have to be pretty tough to pick a fight with a lion. Not many people pick a fight with a lion, do they? Not many people. Okay, what about this animal? There are different types, but they can be bald or golden. Almost like me. I'm not, I'm not golden. So there are different types, but they can be bald or golden. What do you a lamb. Not a lamb. I'll give you another clue. They can be 30 to 40 inches tall. So that's about 30 inches is about there. 40 inches probably around there or so. That's quite tall, isn't it? Hmm. Any ideas? See what comes up next. They can fly. They can fly. Go on. It's an eagle. Very good. It is an eagle. So you can have a golden eagle, a bald eagle. There's loads of different types of eagles, actually. You can have all sorts. They're very good hunters. Their eyesight is eight times better than our eyesight. Pretty good. And uh, there you go. And look, you can see their talons. And again, they are amazing hunters. They love hunting. Again, you don't really want to pick a fight with an eagle. Some of them are very big. But we're going to think about another animal in the Bible this morning who's not big and who's not powerful. A rock badger. Have any of you heard of a rock badger? Sometimes they're called a hyrax or a coney. Should we have a little look at a picture of one? Try to find a cute picture. It's quite cute, isn't it? Yeah, so there you go. There's a, a rock badger. I don't think they look quite as cute when you can see the whole of them, but never mind. So this is a rock badger. And this is what the Bible says. It says about this in Proverbs. It tells us about rock badgers. It says this. It says, rock badgers are not powerful animals, but they can live among the rocks. So there you go. Can you see them in the rocks there? And they're not powerful. In fact, one version says they're feeble animals. They haven't got much power. They can't do much. They tend to get eaten by other animals. So... They're nothing like a lion or an eagle. They're feeble, they're, they're weak. But the Bible says they're really wise. 
Because what they do is they go and hide in the rocks. And when they're hiding in the rocks, the animals who want to eat them can't find them. So it's a place of safety. Yeah? So they're clever, aren't they? And the Bible says they're not very strong, they're pretty weak, they're a bit pathetic, but they're very wise. They know where to go and hide when there's danger about. And you know, I want us to be wise this morning. Now, we're not rock badgers, obviously, but there's a place that we can go and hide. It's a bit of a funny place. In fact, in fact it's actually a person. Because here's the thing, the Bible says to us, sorry, you're right to do next slide. It says actually Jesus is the rock. So actually, we don't go to a place, we go to a person. Jesus is the rock. And here's when we can go to him. Okay, I've got three different times when we might want to go to Jesus to hide in the rock, a bit like they, a bit like they hide for safety. When might we want to go to Jesus? Well, time number one. This works. So you're right to press it. Ah, there you go. People are unkind to us. So we can go to Jesus when people are unkind to us. And you know, the Bible says if we follow Jesus, some people will be unkind to us. But we can go to Jesus and he'll be a friend to us. So that's a good time when we can go to Jesus. Point number two, when else might we want to go to Jesus? When we've done something wrong. So actually, we might think, well, I don't want to go to Jesus because I've done something wrong. Actually, the best time to go to Jesus and hide in him as the rock is actually when we've done something wrong, when we're guilty. The Bible says go to Jesus when we've done something wrong. So when you feel guilty or bad about something, go to Jesus. And the third one, when else might we want to go to Jesus? When we're having a difficult time. Now, some of you, put your hand up if you've had sats this week. Been lots of fun, is it? Yeah. No, it's been a tough week, hasn't it, for some of you? And maybe some of the rest of you have had a a tough week and, and you're glad to get to the end of it and you think, well, thank goodness that's over. You know, when you're having a tough time, a really difficult time, you can go to Jesus, the rock, and hide in him, a bit like his animals, and he cares for you. And I think that a few of you actually have actually prayed with your parents about sats this week. Because it's a big thing, isn't it? It's really good to pray together and ask God to help. And that's your parents showing you you can run to Jesus in these times. So be like rock badgers, but don't run into the rocks unless you want to walk. That's fun. But run to Jesus. And those are some times when you might want to do that. Lovely. Thanks for listening. You go back to your seats. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your word tells us that you know everything about us. You even know the number of hairs on our heads. So as we come to you this morning, we know you know us. And because of that, we want to say sorry for the times that we haven't loved you like we should have done. 
for the times that we've deliberately done things that we know that you don't like because we wanted to do it anyway. Oh Lord, we're ashamed of that. But we thank you that you tell us that if we come to you, that you forgive us. And we pray that we'll know that, that joy of being forgiven, that joy of being free from the guilt for the things we feel guilty about. Because they're wrong. Oh Lord, we're glad that you know about what's happened this week. About the things that have caused us stress. About the people who have been unkind to us. About the situations that we know we cannot handle. Yeah, Lord, we thank you, you know, and we thank you that you promised to work out everything for the very best for those who love you. So we pray that you will give us that confidence in you. And we pray, Lord, that you'll do the great work of changing our hearts to make us more like Jesus. We pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit into our lives so that we know your power to do what is good and right. We pray that you will help our eyesight so that we look forward to the day when we are with you forever. Oh Lord, we, we know that there's a day coming where our lives will be weighed up. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to live in a way that looks forward to you saying, well done, as we work for you. Oh Lord, we thank you for all that goes on here in bringing your good news to people. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll take what's been done in Sunday school this morning, what's been done in Rooted, what happened at the golf day. Oh Lord, we pray that those things that have happened will be things that are seeds that have been sown and grow up to make a big difference in people's lives. Oh Lord, we pray that we'll be looking to you to work in our lives, in the lives of our friends and families. And as we look forward to the women's curry night, as we look forward to the holiday Bible weekend, oh Lord, we ask that many people will go. but we pray that you will work. Oh, Lord, we, we know that you don't work like we work. And we pray that you will be doing something amazing in the lives of people through those events. Oh, Lord, we are glad that you're in control. And we pray that you will give us faith to look for the king to work in our lives and in our work for you. <coughs> oh Lord, we pray for our country. Oh Lord, we're so glad to hear of you working in other countries. We're so glad to hear of thousands of people in Iran coming to, to know you. We're, we're so glad that 
your people in Uzbekistan worship you despite the oppression they face from the authorities. Oh Lord, we pray that you will have used James and Rachel and be blessing them in that, that, that area. But we pray for our country. We ask that you will wake us up. We pray that you will give us a sense of how things really are as a country, how you made us, how you want us to live. And Lord, I pray that there will be a turning back to you, that the, the consequences of ignoring you will come home to people as they see the misery that selfish lives bring. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are able to do things like that and pray that you will do that. Oh Lord, we pray for Rosie. Lord, we thank you that she's having this time in the UK of recovery and we pray that you'll help her as she shares with us what's going on in PNG. And we pray for the church there. Oh Lord, we do thank you for the work that you have done in bringing people from darkness into life. And, the, and the, the difference in the culture that has been already done. But Lord, you know the darkness is there. You know the pressures. You know the enemy is at work. And Lord, we, we pray that you will revive your church in, in that country. And we pray that for ourselves. Lord, we pray that as John brings your word to us, that your word will speak powerfully. That you'll help him. And that you'll help us not just to listen, but to learn things that change the way we look at life. Oh Lord, we do thank you. You care for us. And we pray that you'll especially be with Tim and my mum as they're recovering from their um, injury and their, their operation. Oh Lord, we... We pray that you will be with them, that they will know your peace and that they will know your healing. And we pray that for everyone who is suffering physically or mentally. Oh Lord, there's so much that we don't know. There's so much in a, a group of people like this that, and we just don't know what's going on. But we thank you that you do. And we pray that you will bring comforters to those who mourn, comforters to those who struggle, but most of all, that you will be the comforter. So that our lives show that you are at work. So that our lives show that we know Jesus and that we are distinct in a loving and glorious way. Amen. So our next song is uh, one, again, encouraging us to action, to fight the good fight with all our energy. So let's stand when, when the music starts.
Well, armed with a brand new clicker, just delivered down the front here, shall we uh, go into Nehemiah chapter 4? Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, it's one thing, isn't it, to, to start something, and it's quite another to keep going, especially when the pressure mounts. Uh, around the UK, there are uh, uh, quite a lot of buildings called Follies. Sometimes they're just strange designs, but uh, sometimes they're things that have started and never been finished, and they're left these rather strange buildings, relics, called Follies. Some things are started and then left sort of incomplete, unfinished. And maybe we're tempted sometimes to, to give up. We, we started something, but now it's hard going. And, uh, and we wonder if it's worth keeping going, actually. Maybe, maybe you start, you've started to seek God to explore Christianity. Um, but it's, it's, it's not easy anymore, actually, and your enthusiasm is waning a little bit. Perhaps you began life as a, a Christian, uh, yet others are giving you a bit of stick for it. You're having a hard time at college, uh, at, at work, or from the family. And it's, um, it's getting to you. Perhaps you've started to do something which is uh, helping you as a Christian, or you thought would help you as a Christian, uh, uh, into Bible reading, or coming to services, or um, family worship for your children. And uh, yeah, you're, you're about to stop. Or maybe you started to get rid of something in your life that you knew wasn't good. It was it's a bad habit. Maybe it's a misuse of your tongue. And um, but now you're so tempted to surrender and just let it back in again. Or maybe you've begun a a work that you sense God wanted you to do in serving Him, and yet it's proving really hard going, and uh, you're contemplating chucking it in. Was Jesus ever tempted to? to stop doing what God wanted him to do. Yes, even Jesus was tempted. He didn't give in, but he was tempted. And Nehemiah and his colleagues certainly come under tremendous pressure as we go into the next phase of Nehemiah. We saw uh, they started the work. It was a great start. It was encouraging, wasn't there? So many people doing so many things around the city wall, beavering away, Nehemiah leading them with a big heart. But whenever God's work is going on, there is opposition. There are difficulties. There are things which make us feel like stopping and turning back. And in... Chapters 4 and 5, and to some extent 6, we have some difficulties that threaten the work that has started. Um, chapter 5 looks at things that are more inside the community, and uh, quite a number of us looked at those in home groups this week, and we were challenged by the thought of greed and selfishness and stress and the need to keep united as we go forward together. So we've done that in the week, some of us. So this Sunday morning, we're just carrying on into, in chapter 4, or looking at the chapter before, 
chapter 4. And in chapter 4, the opposition, the difficulties are more from outside than from inside, although it has its effect inside. Well, what, what are those difficulties? Did you notice them as we read through? What, what sort of pressures did they come under? Do they cope? How do they cope? Uh, does it point to Jesus? How does it help us in seeking to serve God or to seek God to go forward? Well, we're going to go through this passage and we're going to run two things in parallel. I hope you'll find it helpful. And we're going to look at the, the growing pressures and we're also going to look at the survival strategies. The growing pressures to give up and the survival strategies, the surviving strategies, perhaps are slightly negative. Maybe people, people talk about wanting to thrive rather than survive. So perhaps there should be thriving strategies. But they're positive anyway. They're coping mechanisms with the difficulties that are faced in this chapter and that we experience in serving God in our lives. Now, you remember we said before that uh, Nehemiah had his equivalent of Moriarty or Darth Vader or the Joker. He had his arch enemy or enemies, except these were factual and real. And here at the start of the chapter, we get Sam Ballot mentioned and his sidekick, Tobiah. Sam Ballot is the governor of the area to the north, Samaria. And uh, maybe Samaria is threatened by the reviving of Jerusalem as a possible trade route, which will not trade away from Samaria. That's possible. But whatever's behind it, he erupts in verse 1. You see what he says or feels. Now, when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. You saw perhaps pictures of President Putin this week and the special day they had with the troops coming past in Russia. And he has some words for the troops about the situation. Well, it seems as though Sam Ballot has something on here. And he says things to his troops, which he's, is designed to get back and be fed back to Jerusalem to discourage the works. This is what he says in verse 2. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? There is jeering and sneering from Sanballat. And it carries on. From Tobiah as well in verse 3, he wants to pitch in on the act. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. They won't finish. It will be a feeble wall. If a cat jumps on it, it will crumble down. Their religion won't make any difference. It's as if it's like a... Foam bricks at a children's play area. 
it will just fall apart, this silly wall that they're building together. And this is said to the army and outwards, and it's expected to come back to the workers at Jerusalem, jeering and sneering. Words of humiliation from others, but originating from the evil one who opposes God and his work. And yes, well, we may as well give up. We can't do this. There's too much to carry on. The Australian cricket team had a, a tactic over the decade or two called mental disintegration. <laughs> mental disintegration. And part of it would be to, to tease and to taunt the batsmen on the pitch. So you've got the fielders there, the Australians and the batsmen on the pitch to tease and to taunt the batsmen to undermine them so that they would lose their nerve and lose their wicket. Mental disintegration. You experience that sometimes from opposition, from spiritual opposition. There is jeering and sneering. But what is Nehemiah's first response? Does he, does he go off in a sulk? Does he sort of wave the white hanky of surrender? Does he tell everyone to down tools? Verse 4, his first response is to pray. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. He prays for God to deal with them. He prays to God for justice. Quite a strong prayer, wasn't it? He prays to God to maintain his honour. Jesus, surrounded by enemies on the cross, prayed. His prayer included mercy. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. In times of jeering and sneering, it is good to pray. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer, we sing sometimes. We can easily overlook, can't we? Don't you find that? You think in a sort of throwing in the towel before you've even prayed over the matter? Nehemiah's response, here, O our God, for we are despised. He prayed. But it's not just praying and sitting back. There is energy, there is effort. And you find that they keep working, despite the opposition and the jeers and the shame and the humiliation. Verse 6 is a great verse. I hope you've got your Bibles open because we're, we're following through so many of these. Verse 6, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Opposition, so we built. So we built the wall. They're getting on with the jeering, we're getting on with the job. 
There's progress. They're halfway there. The wall's halfway up, all the way round. Quite something is happening. And in this verse 6, you have a, 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 a phrase that one of our previous elders used to quote a lot. For the people had a mind to work. They kept working. They had a mind to work. And it's often true here in terms of the life of the church. It's true over these busy few weeks. There's so much happening. I lose track of what's happening down here sometimes. And it's because so many have a mind to work. They love to serve the Lord. They love to serve others. They want to commit themselves. It takes effort, but they have a mind to work. Has God put in your heart, in you, a heart and a mind to work? To keep going? Even in the face of difficulties? Do you find that there's an inner conviction inside you of the importance of the work you're involved with, of what will be achieved by it, of your place within it that God has put on you? Do you have a mind to work, a a deep resilience inside to keep going because it's so important? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you have a mind to work? You might have a mind to play. You might have a mind to rest. And actually, those have their places. But do you have a mind to work, to keep going? People did in Nehemiah's day, and they kept working. Well, the news got back to the arch enemies of the progress that was being made, and they were not pleased. And they're angered again, and actually they join forces. There, is, there are combined threats, verses 7 and 8. Notice the geography of this, we'll come to that in a minute. But when Sambalat and Tobiah, yeah, we've heard of those, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were being beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. They step up the opposition. They start to cement an alliance. You've got four groups here. You've got Samaria. Well, where's that? That's, that's north of Jerusalem. Um, then you've got Tobiah, and you've got the Arabs. The Arabs are south of Jerusalem. You've got the Ammonites. Tobiah's an Ammonite, and he's east of Jerusalem. And you've got the Ashdodites. They're more from the Gaza Strip, which is the west, as I'm looking at it, different for you. See, surrounding Jerusalem are, 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 are joining forces together, wanting to oppose the work of God. And they're now threatening, not, they're not just insulting, they're now threatening to come and to fight. This probably wouldn't be a full-scale invasion, because after all, the, the king of Persia had given permission for this work to carry on. 
But it might be skirmishes. They might take some of them out. They would ruin the work. They would make it difficult. If people started to, to lose workers because of them getting killed, then that would deflate the work. So it's a, an escalation. There are scare tactics going on. And it's a togetherness, isn't it? And it reminds us of this that is often uh, a togetherness against the work of God. It's not just from one angle. It's people gathering together sometimes. Does that remind you of elsewhere in the Bible, perhaps? Think of uh, what Jesus went through and the way it's prayed about in Acts 4, actually drawing from Psalm 2, which says this is a common aspect of opposing God. They pray this in Acts 4, 26. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Opposition on all sides, combined threats what do they do in response verse 9 and they prayed you see sometimes the there'd be a second verse adding on the end just to confuse you they prayed the prayer again verse 9 said quite briefly and we prayed to our God they hadn't forgotten to pray still Okay, second onslaught's coming your way. Don't forget to pray. But they do more than pray this time. You carry on in verse 9, and uh, they guard. They, they guard. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. You sang, uh, f- well, if you did join in the, the song, you sang, Fight the Good Fight. Living for God is, is a fight. It's not a bad fight. It's a good fight. It's worth doing. It's difficult. It's a struggle. Are you up for the fight of living for God, of serving God? And we need to protect and we need to guard. There are spoilers looking to spoil our life, to spoil the work of the kingdom. And we have to be on our guard and we have to react and we have to stand against and we have to speak truth into it and we have to resist it. That's why we also sang, O Church, Arise, that we sing the songs because they tie in with the message usually. O Church, Arise and put your armour on. So they pray, they keep working and they now they're looking to defend, they, they guard. And then we, I think we come to the, the crisis point, I think, in, in, the, in the chapter. Where the, you find the threats and the smear campaign is affecting the workers. And they're, they're beginning to lose their nerve. I think this is the hardest point. And they're tempted to feel... Shouldn't have jeering and sneering there. I'll tell you what it should be. I don't know if it will come up later on. Overwhelmed and put off. 
overwhelmed and put off. And you get it in, you get it in different ways here in verses 10 to 12. I'd like you to enter into this, because you get it, one after another. What do you get in verse 10? Verse 10, you, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble by ourselves who will not be able to rebuild the wall. You see, they're feeling overwhelmed. There's just too much rubble. We can't clear this lot. We can't get going. We might as well pack it in. It's just too big a job for us. We can't do it. There's a crisis of confidence in the people that are working. May as well stop serving God. May as well stop seeking God. May as well stop trying to be holy. It's just too hard. I just want to pack it in. I want an easy life. There's finish. And with that, the enemy's words are still resounding in verse 11. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So they were saying, that, you know, the enemies are going to say, there's going to be a surprise attack, some of us are going to die, the work's going to stop. This is, this is ludicrous to carry on with a building project. And then on top of that, perhaps even, even harder, I think, in verse 12, it seems as though the Jews themselves are swallowing the propaganda and they're, they're encouraging each other to stop the work or they're encouraging the builders to stop the work. And they're doing it from different parts of the, around Jerusalem and they're doing it persistently. See verse 12. Imagine how this, you know, you're one of the builders. You're Nehemiah. You're trying to keep things going. You're, you're, you're trying to be resilient. And you get verse 12. You get verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Stop doing it. Go back home. Finish. I think that must have been so hard, don't you? The propaganda had seeped in, the discouragement seeped in, others were telling them to, to stop doing what they were doing. You think of Jesus, doesn't it? Overwhelmed in Gethsemane, deeply troubled with what he had to do if he was going to go forward to the cross and die for others. Even a close friend tried to discourage him from what he had to do. Matthew 16, verse 22, Peter takes Jesus aside when he said he's going to the cross and he says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Don't do it, Jesus. Don't go to the cross. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus persisted in what God wanted him to do. under the sort of onslaught to give up it doesn't mean you, you never retire or hand over responsibilities or realise that God is moving you on to different things as time goes on and your circumstances and your health changes 
But where you know what God wants you to do and you know what's right to do, are you tempted to give up? Overwhelmed and put off, as this heading should have been. Well, what do Nehemiah, so this keeps going, there's a barrage, isn't there? What do Nehemiah and the builders do? Well, there is more guarding, verse 13, and equipment. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the walls in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. We're provided for. We need to put on the whole armour of God in our battle. You know what the armour of God is? Perhaps you can remember bits of it. Mm, there's a breastplate, isn't there? That's of righteousness. There's a helmet. What's that? That's the helmet of salvation. There's a shield. What's the shield? The shield is faith. It's a sword. What's the sword? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There's foot, feet, well, feet as well. Gospel shoes, shed with the gospel of peace, we need to, need to be equipped in the battle against the enemy, against the evil one as he tempts us. But you get more than guarding this time. We're going to have more on the survival strategies than on the growing pressures. Here, Nehemiah aims to encourage. He aims to encourage. And we need this. Verse 14 we're at now. And I looked... And arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember those you care about. Don't look at the threats. Look at the Lord. And don't we need that? Isn't it good to take stock and remember in our pressure? Remember the Lord. Remember his greatness. Have you forgotten him? Good to remember who we're serving. Have you forgotten who you're serving and what you're doing? It's easy and the difficulties to forget who it's for. For the sake of those you care about. Maybe it's a blessing on your family. Perhaps it's a help to fellow Christians. Maybe it's a reaching those who need the gospel. It's good to encourage others. It's good to be encouraged ourselves. Let me read it again to you, what he said, verse 14 might encourage you this morning. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Now the opposers are getting pretty frustrated. Their attempt to suspend God's work is just not working, is it? But Nehemiah and co, they know better than to rest on their laurels, even though things are starting to succeed. And so they still carry on with the work. We have another keep working verse in verse 15. 
When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each one to his work. Got a job to do. Need to keep going on it. We're getting somewhere. I've got enthusiasm to do my part. Gonna keep working. But there's more than that here. As we carry on through the rest of the chapter, there's more than that. They carry on working, but this I think is fascinating. They wisely adjust. They wisely adjust. Now, I guess that they would have quite liked to have all been builders. That would be seen the most effective way of doing it, wouldn't it? All build, all of the time, and, uh, you know, the progress will be made. And it had been the plan to all be builders. But um, that, that couldn't happen in the circumstances. They needed to make some adjustments to how they approached it in the light of the threats. You get some wonderful balances in this chapter. You get, you get prayer and work. You get work and guarding. And you find that balance, especially as, as we carry on, just to the end of the chapter here. There's some half and halves. There's some split responsibilities. I, I think they're very interesting. Verse 16, half build and half guard. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows and coats of mail. So half fighters defending, half builders. Even the carriers were ready to fight. Verse 17, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that they laboured on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. So you can carry something with one hand. Okay, you don't carry as much as if you've got two hands, but if you might have a, an Ammonite pop over the wall and try and polish you off, it's as well to have a weapon in one hand and to be carrying in the other. So you had half and half. Guarding and building. It's a famous preacher of... Um, the 19th century, you would have heard of him, many of you, um, Charles Spurgeon, long ministry in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and he had a regular magazine which went out, I think it was monthly, maybe quarterly, interesting name, this is, this is, this is the name of it, The Sword and Trowel, The Sword and Trowel. Defending truth, building up. I prefer to build rather than defend. But we need both. We need to keep the enemy at bay. We need to keep error at bay. Our Anglican friends at the minute are spending a lot of time standing for a Bible-based approach to marriage, which is under threat from within the church. And they, they might feel it's a waste, you might feel it's a waste of time. Uh, they might feel they prefer to uh, evangelise and to discipleship, to teach. But their situation requires that they have to defend and guard as well as build. So the carriers got one-handed weapon, 
one hand to carry it. Well, the builders, the builders need both hands, but they still have the swords at ready, verse 19. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great. This is verse 18, sorry. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. And they're dispersed around the city wall. And it needs a communication strategy. And Nehemiah has his head of IT. Information? Get here quick. This is where the invasion is. We all need everybody to come here. Technology? The trumpet. In order to announce that everyone must come. Verse 18. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Even in his wise adjustments and his communication strategies and his sort of split arrangements, there is encouragement. He ended verse 20, our God will fight for us. And then further, there is a shift system in operation. Nighttime, they would be vulnerable to attack. So they have a night guard as well. Verse 21, so we laboured at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and labour by day. At Nottingham University, they have a, a mission um, each year and they probably do have similar things at other universities and they have a, a big marquee uh, that they have all the evangelistic events. It cre creates quite a feature you know, on, in the middle of this grass area so people are asking about it and as well they have the events. It costs quite a lot of money. I know different universities do it and there's quite a lot of equipment. So what do they do? Well, they have a group of the students who sleep overnight in the marquee to keep it protected sort of night shift as part of God's work, as part of protecting and guarding. Well, there was night shifts here in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was included within it and his officials. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. For this intense period, he was doing night shifts. So there's wise adjustments. They wisely adapt. And we do sometimes have to do that in face of opposition. To see fresh ways of dealing with a situation. The truth doesn't change. We don't change the essentials. But we keep looking for what's going to be best about how we do things. So you you find a better way of approaching your Bible reading. You find that somebody else can come in and help with your workload. It works much better because they're more gifted than you. You put an internet filter on your computer in some way so it lessens temptation. 
You stop doing one thing so you can start doing what's essential better. They wisely adapt. They still guard. They still work. So what a chapter. I hope I haven't exhausted you with too many details, but what a chapter. so much in it. I want us to just come back at the end to this. Do you feel like giving up sometimes? In seeking God? In serving God? In living for God? In looking to grow in holiness? Are you experiencing some pressure points? Maybe it's the, the jeering and the sneering. Maybe there's a combination of threats. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed and put off. Is it a timely passage this morning to have been in Nehemiah 4? Pray. Keep working. Guard. Encourage. Wisely adapt. They keep going. Their opposers are frustrated. The wall is rising. God is helping them. The finishing line starts to come within sight, as we'll see in a couple of weeks' time. Amen. Well, let's sing together. We sang together, Fight the Good Fight. Now we encourage one another with a, another hymn of similar uh, sort of ilk. Go labour on, spend and be spent, your joy to do the Father's will.
Lord, we thank you for your word, for the way it's so vivid, full of lessons. We pray that you might help us to wisely adjust, to encourage, to guard, to keep working, and to pray. Amen.